you know, the reality is the first time you create your product or your business, like it will be wrong. You know, you won't get it right first time around. You know, customers won't necessarily jump on board right away. You need to make changes to it. So the more perspectives you have involved in that process in your founding team, you know, the better equipped you will be to do that. Hello, and welcome to UmiCast, a podcast about business and entrepreneurship. This conversation is with one of Scotland's most inspirational entrepreneurs. Fraser Doherty is the co-founder of Beer52 and someone who has built an impressive 20-year career in business despite being just 33 years old. It's a career that started with a jam company called Super Jam, which Fraser set up at the age of 14. And so in this conversation, we go right back to the beginning and talk about what it was like being a teenage entrepreneur, mistakes made and lessons learned, and ultimately the validation Fraser felt when he secured weight rows as a customer and Super Jam ended up being sold in supermarkets all over the world. We then of course move on to the remarkable story of Beer 52, which Fraser started with co-founder James Brown in 2013, and which has become the most popular beer subscription service in the world, boasting well over 150,000 monthly subscribers. The idea for Beer 52 is to showcase the best craft beers each month from a different part of the world, so naturally it's a job that has seen Fraser become incredibly well-travelled. And in the conversation that follows, you'll hear him talk about his time spent finding the best pilsners, porters and IPAs in parts of Europe, the US and Asia, and the incredible story about the 10 days he and the team spent in North Korea of all places, visiting the country's only brewery and getting a rare glimpse into life beyond the 38th parallel. And just to say a little bit more about Fraser, he's a multi-award winning entrepreneur in his own right with notable accolades including an Outstanding Young Person of the World Award, a Glenfiddich Spirit of Scotland Award, a BT Essence of the Entrepreneur Award and of course being appointed as Member of the British Empire in the 2014 Birthday Honours. So if you want to learn a bit more about Fraser's approach to entrepreneurship, you should pick up a copy of his 2016 book, The 48 Hour Startup, where he guides readers through getting a business idea to market in the space of just a weekend. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy hearing from the man himself. This is Fraser Doherty on brewing the world's most popular beer club. Uh, well, welcome to the podcast. Fraser, and uh, yeah, really great to be here in the new HQ. So just to start us off, yeah, how have things been, I guess, since you moved in? Yeah, it's been great, yeah, and well, welcome. So we're sitting here in our tasting room. Uh, this is kind of the uh, beating heart of our business. It's where all the samples arrive for beer and wine. So uh, we taste uh, products from all over the world and yeah, pick what we're going to send out to our members. And yeah, we moved into this building over the past year and um, we've got yeah, this tasting room, we've got like a pub downstairs, like various oh, different amazing. facilities. So yeah, the team are really enjoying the new place. Yeah, yeah, obviously this is going out primarily as audio, but we're gonna get some video elements as well, aren't we? So we'll be able to kind of show people the different aspects of the place. I mean, I guess, yeah, like how important was it for you guys to have this sort of uh, headquarters and, and, you know, I guess, what was it like before you were, um, in here and, and in terms of putting your own stamp on it and things like that? Yeah, so I guess like like a lot of startups, you know, when we first created the business, we were in a, a little tiny office um, and over time we've sort of grown and grown. Um, during the pandemic, our business kind of exploded and 
obviously the team were working from home, but we felt that after that, we wanted to come back together into a great place. You know, we wanted to create a space that people would be excited to come to work. You know, I think uh, what a workplace and what an office is, is something totally different. You know, now that people have the flexibility to do some time working from home, some time coming into the office. And, you know, when you're in the office, you want to have spaces where you can uh, taste products, you can have great meetings, like get to know your colleagues better. Uh, we have some, we've got a gym so we can get some exercise, burn off some of that beer. Um, so yeah, we've uh, been excited to, yeah. So. Yeah, I think especially post COVID, right, that kind of row of desks approach um, is, is kind of no longer, no longer really the way to go. So totally. yeah, it must be super satisfying to have this, this spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I think just to like, take it right back really to, to the beginning because obviously you're super heavily involved with with Pier 52 now with, with alongside James and um, you know this has been uh, what's taken up the most of your time at the moment but you know you've been in business for quite a long time haven't you so yeah. I guess um, yeah like when did you first become interested in business would you say? I guess ever since I was a tiny kid, to be honest, I was always coming up with ideas to start my own business. Um, you know, when I was probably 10 or 12, I got some chicken eggs from a local farm and brought them home and hatched them out. Uh, put them on top of the Sky TV box under the telly where it was kind of warm and like miraculously they hatched. So I started a little business, uh, keeping chickens in the garden, selling their eggs. Um, unfortunately, that business um, came to an end when the local fox came along and <laughs> right, ate, ate okay. my chickens. So uh, ever since I've been looking for you know businesses that don't have any natural predators. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, at around about fourteen years old, um, you know, my grandmother taught me how to make jam one afternoon, and uh, we just made a few jars together. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. And then I had this kind of eureka moment that maybe I could make jam and sell it door to door in the neighborhood. And so I started out, you know, cooking jam at home, selling at farmer's markets. I had a little plastic bucket and I would go and knock on doors in the neighborhood and uh, sell it to all the neighbors. Um, it grew and grew. And then I realized that if I wanted to move out of my parents' kitchen and into a factory, I was gonna have to come up with some kind of idea. Um, so. I developed a recipe to make jam 100% from fruit uh, without adding any sugar. I managed to convince a factory to work with me to make my recipes on a big scale. Um, and then when Waitrose opened some stores here in Edinburgh, they were looking for some local Scottish producers. Uh, they held an event called a Meet the Buyer Day. Um, and so I got the opportunity to pitch you know, my products and convince my dad to drive me along. You know, He waited in the car outside. I, borrowed my dad's suit, you know, it was like four sizes too big for me <laughs> and uh, pitched my product. And, you know, amazingly, the buyer uh, listened to an idea from a kid and gave me some good advice and, and feedback and said, look, you know, if you want to supply supermarkets, you need to get labels designed and create a brand and, and all of that. So at first it was a no, but, you know, I took on board his feedback and went back the next year and uh, thankfully, he agreed to put my products in their stores. So I was about 18 years old at that time, launched into Waitrose. You know, it was an amazing feeling to kind of see my brand come alive and go into supermarket shelves. And yeah, that kind of kicked off my career as an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. So just in terms of kind of where that entrepreneurial mindset kind of comes from, are your, are your parents entrepreneurial or is, is it just like that kind of nature or nurture thing, you know, is it just something that instinctively 
because I imagine it was quite difficult to, um, you know, perhaps not go down the university route or, or to certainly like step out and say, no, I'm going to do this, this business. So yeah, I guess what gave you the kind of impetus to do that? I'm not really sure. Yeah, I don't know. I had never met an entrepreneur when I was a kid. You know, my parents hadn't started a business before, but they were really uh, encouraging of, of me following what I wanted to do in life. You know, they always said to my brother and I that the most important thing in life is that you do something that you love. And, you know, if you enjoy what you do, then, you know, you will work hard at it because it doesn't feel like work. And if you work hard at something, then it will be a success. So um, I always looked for some way of making a career out of something that I loved and um, in my case first of all that was was making jam and then you know now I, I get to um, travel around the world tasting beer and wine so <laughs> it's not bad. I get to do something I love yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely and in terms of you know you started um, super jam when you were kind of uh, when you as young as 14 right but obviously it, it took a few years to kind of you know, introduce that kind of business to it and, and sort of formalize those arrangements and stuff. So, but even even at 18, you know, you get into waitros and things like that. So I guess what was it like being like a young person in 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 that kind of business environment where, um, you know, I bet you in a lot of those rooms, you were the youngest person in the room, you know? Yeah. So uh, did you have any kind of um, like challenges and things like that associated with that or, did you just obviously back yourself and, and, and you believed in the product and everything? So that kind of did the talking for you a little bit. Yeah, well, I guess the thing about, you know, if you're starting a business when you're young is that, um, you know, you don't really know what you're doing. Um, you know, I definitely didn't. I had no experience. I didn't have any money. Um, but I had an idea. I was passionate about it. And, you know, when you're young, people are willing to help you, give you advice. Um, maybe uh, when I was younger, I got to meet some other entrepreneurs you know in the local area who'd kind of been there done it before so I guess when you're young you have an opportunity to yeah ask people for advice and you know in my case I was able to find a mentor who gave me some advice about supplying supermarkets and things like that so um, although I had no idea what I was doing I was able to you know get some advice and you know I think when you're young you're willing to try ideas that other people might think yeah. other people might assume they wouldn't work but when you're young you give them a shot anyway and yeah, sometimes it turns out that they do work. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely has, definitely has sort of gone gone well for you guys. And I think moving on then from from sort of Super Jam. So when did you first um, meet James, and 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 where did the kind of beer fifty two idea come from? And yeah. and and obviously, what was the kind of gap between running uh, Super Jam to you know starting to think actually this is going to demand more of my attention now. Exactly, yeah. So I'd had this great journey with Super Jam. You know, I'd learned how to create a brand and how to get business off the ground. And by the, by that point, you know, we were selling in all the supermarkets in the UK as well as in South Korea. So I kind of had this experience of launching over there. Uh, and we're still, the business is still going, Super Jam, but um, I started to look for the next adventure, um, started looking for new ideas. And I uh, got introduced to James Brown through a, a mutual friend and he'd had the idea of Beer 52. So he had become passionate about craft beer. This was like 2013, so... Before it really sort of took off, would yeah, you say? Yeah, so it was just starting to kind of catch on here in the UK and um, he became really interested in craft beer and realised, you know, there's thousands of 
craft breweries all around the world. There's so many different beers to discover. So I had this idea of creating a beer club and you know, each month we'd focus on a different region, um, find the best beers from there and send them out to customers every month. So uh, as soon as he told me about the idea, you know, I fell in love with it and you know, I could tell that he was someone who was gonna make it happen. So you know, we joined forces and um, you know, got, got going from there and we didn't really know how to, how to do it, but we, we, we gave it a shot and um, yeah. Here we are. <laughs> yeah, and, and obviously he, he's like a young entrepreneur as, as well, right? So um, how, how important was that kind of dynamic in it that, that he was kind of a, a, young, a young man as well, sort of just figuring it out as, as they go type thing? Was that quite an important dynamic in the relationship? Yeah, definitely. You know, James had started other businesses himself in the past. Like me, he'd kind of been an entrepreneur from a young age. And um, I guess we really just kind of clicked. And I think... My, I had an experience of starting a business on my own, first of all, and then, you know, the thing is when you're doing something on your own, when you come up against a, a hurdle or a bump in the road, uh, it can take you a little while to figure out how to get around it because you're trying to figure it out yourself. But when you have a business partner or colleagues or a team, when you come up against an obstacle, you can put your heads together and you each have different perspectives on it and different experiences. So it's much easier to get over obstacles when you do it with other people. So. You know, if someone listening is thinking of starting a business, you know, I, I think I would definitely speak highly of do, not doing it on your own, you know, yeah. finding a business partner or, you know, f finding some way of, of not taking it all by yourself because uh, having different perspectives involved is really helpful when you're trying to, you know, figure out what the right way is to, to do your business. And, you know, the reality is the first time you create your product or your business, like it will be wrong. You know, you won't get it right first time around, you know, customers won't necessarily jump on board right away. You need to make changes to it. So the more perspectives you have involved in that process in your founding team, you know, the better equipped you will be to do that. Yeah, I think it's such a good point, isn't it? Because they, they say that, you know, when you're running a business, it can be quite quite lonely. So I guess in, in the same vein, kind of those business networks are, are quite important as well, right? So you mentioned that you had the, um, the mentor who, who sort of, uh, made you aware of the opportunities with supermarkets and things like that so is that another aspect of it particularly I think when you're a young person as well and you're kind of looking for those sort of lighthouses really right those people who've been through the the journey and they can kind of say right here's the way to go totally yeah I mean if if, if you're if you're young or or any age really you know starting out in business like try and meet other people who are going through the same thing and you know maybe they're having a good week and you're coming up against a challenge and they can give you some encouragement and you know, entrepreneurs um, are, um, yeah, uh, uh, you can meet lots of interesting people who are entrepreneurs and uh, there's, there's tons of events and communities you can be a part of. So, yeah, definitely encourage that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So in, in terms of Beer 52 then, so you started nine years ago, is exactly, that right? Yeah. yeah, okay. And now it's, you know, this, this huge um, global beer uh, club with this, the subscription service and everything like that but uh, obviously it's been a journey right yeah. but it sounds um, Fraser as if the the kind of core product if you like hasn't really changed that much yeah. you know it's like often I think you know, businesses sort of iterate on the idea and they take feedback from the the market and things like that but uh, you guys kind of you kind you guys kind of did get it right the first time in a way so I guess what we got right was this concept of a beer club. You know, we, we, we spotted that people would love to taste different beers 
every month and go on this journey of like infinite taste discovery. Um, and basically our business, it's kind of like sandcastles on a beach. You know, every month we put together a selection of beers, we produce a magazine, uh, we create this product, we send it out to our customers. And then we invite our members to rate and review what we send them. So we've collected 6 million reviews on the beers that we've, wow. we've sent out. And that's given us like incredibly rich data in terms of what styles of beer do people like, which hops rate best, you know, all kinds of things like that. And over time, we're able to, you know, get better at sourcing beers that we know people are going to love. Um, so although the concept has always been around a beer club and having like a different theme every month, um, we've learned a huge amount about yeah, what people like and yeah, how to, how to kind of create a selection of beers that yeah. people are going to enjoy. Yeah, because I guess in the early days, right, you would have just been going off the beers that you liked, you know, or, or, or certainly like there would have been a, a, a group of people or a small community and, and as the community's grown, you, you've kind of uh, used that as a resource to inform Totally. Okay. Yeah, and then, you know, trends within craft beer have kind of evolved. You know, what, what people uh, found exciting four, five, six years ago is, is uh, not so exciting now. And there's, there's all kinds of new um, styles and hops and well, there's lots of trends around like revisiting, you know, older styles. So, um, yeah, we, we, we kind of listen to what the customers like and what the members want. And, um, yeah, because we're able to collect that relation, that data through having this direct relationship with the customers, we're able to, yeah, tailor what we do quite effectively. Yeah, and of course, Scotland um, is, is, a, is a very good region for all types of drink. Obviously, whiskey is the, the first one that comes to mind, right? But um, there's some fantastic breweries here as well, isn't there? And yeah. So has is, is, is the kind of Scottish... Um, sector of, 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 of beer being quite a key yeah, one for you guys. Tons of friends here who have breweries and um, yeah, we learn a lot from them and collaborate with them on different concepts and we've done quite a few Scotland editions of Beer 52 yeah. over the years so um, yeah, definitely there's like a really vibrant craft beer scene in Scotland and yeah, it's great to be a part of that. Yeah, and, and in terms of the kind of evolution of, of, of craft beer, so if you go back to like 2013, right, when you guys were starting out. Um, I guess, you know, like, what gave you the foresight, really, to know that it was, I mean, you couldn't have predicted, yeah. possibly, the, the extent of the of the, yeah. the kind of craft beer revolution that's now happened. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, did you have much of an inclination that it was really going to take off? Well, I think, like, uh, at the time, you know, craft beer was huge in the US and you know often if you see something becoming really popular over there you know that eventually it will be here as well so that gave us a good clue that you know it was going to be something that would become more and more popular over time um, but we had no idea if our concept was going to work or if or, or where things were going to go we just created something that we wanted to buy ourselves you know we thought wouldn't it be great if you could taste a different selection of beers every month and um, yeah, thankfully, millions of other people have thought the same thing. So, <laughs> yeah. So, in terms of kind of what you attribute to the company's success, I think like timing, right, has, has probably been pretty key. Um, the 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 selection of beers and, and that ability to um, use customer feedback and things like that to inform the you know the the, the beers that you. Um, that you give out to the to the guys, but what what kind of other things do you think have been really important? Yeah, I think um, big thing is is just listening to your customers and you know listening. We're we're very data driven in what we do, and 
you know, sometimes we make an assumption about what we think people are going to like or want and, um, you know, unless we actually test it and listen to what they really want, then we're never 100% sure. So uh, we run a lot of different experiments, you know, test, test things on a small scale with a group of customers, see how they react and then, you know, scale, scale it up based on that. So that's been a big lesson for us is just, you know, how, how you can build something scalable by yeah, running small experiments to, to test test what works across marketing across selecting the beers you know across everything we we try to be informed by you know data and we try and do things in a way where we don't get biased by our own personal taste or opinions um, because yeah we've, we've got lots of different customers lots of different types of customers and they're all at different stages of their journey with craft beer they've all got different palettes so yeah we, we, we try not to just make decisions based on what we personally like but uh, try and listen to our customers yeah you mentioned the kind of marketing side of things there and of course like digital marketing and social media marketing's kind of really taken off in that in that same time period so was that um, a kind of you know key growing part of the business really as well in, in line with um, I'm just thinking timelines-wise, yeah. right? That probably became much more important for you guys to focus on. Totally. Yeah, I guess like, the big trend is is just this move to like direct to consumer. So, you know, in my first business, you know, I was selling stuff to supermarkets, and it was fantastic because it meant that you know I could take my recipe and it could go into all these stores and you know have distribution. Um, so it was able to to scale up quite quickly by working with a big retailer, but. The only downside was that I didn't really have any direct relationship with the customer, so I never really got much feedback. I never really knew what kinds of marketing were effective or not. Um, and if we changed something about the product, we couldn't tell if people liked it better or worse. So um, now with direct-to-consumer businesses, you know, you, you have this relationship with the customer. Uh, you can get all this feedback and information. You can build a community around your brand, which is you know, much harder to do if you're selling things through stores. So. Yeah, the big trend has been this direct-to-consumer uh, move, and yeah, there's lots of lots of other DTC brands that we've learned a lot from. You know, the meal kit companies and and things like that. Um, and yeah, obviously over the the kind of lockdowns and stuff, all these businesses grew grew a lot. And um, yeah, I think it's a trend that's here to stay. And I think this the subscription-based business model, right, as well as is another one that's, that's sort of fairly recent. You know, you mentioned like thanks of HelloFresh and exactly. Gusto and things like that. And you guys are like the beer version of, exactly. of that. So, yeah. and that was always um, part of the business model from the start as well, the yeah. subscription model. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think some products lend themselves really well to being a subscription. You know, I think if it's something about discovery or it's about being a part of a club, um, then it makes sense to be a subscription. Other products maybe don't work as well as a subscription and, you know, it makes more sense to just pick them up at the supermarket. But um, yeah, thankfully, craft beer is something that makes sense to subscribe to. You know, we do a magazine, so it's kind of like a magazine. You know, every month is different. There's a different theme. You know, there's a reason to stay for next month because we're going to go to a different country that we haven't tasted beers from before. So that makes it really sticky as a as a subscription. Yeah, and I, I mean, because it's craft beer as well, because the people who like craft beer tend to uh, want to try different ones. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, they would just drink tenants or, yeah. or, or, you know, they would just drink like a like a regular, a regular lager. So it's sort of perfect, right, for this type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, exactly. okay, okay. So in terms of like best and, best and worst moments, I guess, <laughs> 
Maybe uh, maybe we'll start with the. Uh, would you want to start with the worst or the best? Yeah, I mean, there's there's. I guess like yeah, in a startup, you're always like testing so many different things, and you know, you you try out a lot of ideas, and you only need a few of them to to work really well for it to be a success. So yeah, tons of ideas we've tried, you know, weren't weren't the right fit, and I guess thinking right back to the very beginning, you know, when when we first launched, you know, we'd put all this work into like finding the first beers we were going to send out, and you know. Uh, figuring out how to get our first thousand customers and you know we sent out these orders and you know a few days later we start getting all these complaints you know all the bottles are broken and stuff like that you know we hadn't totally figured out how to uh, package everything securely and safely so we'd kind of got this um, yeah that was like a, a rude awakening into yeah how important it is to get the packaging right and make sure that the whole delivery experience is completely seamless. You know, if, if you're selling a subscription, you, you, you know, you need that box to arrive, you know, on time and not broken. And you, it needs to be a really seamless experience. Otherwise, you know, why would people, you know, stick around? So that was... Um, that yeah. logistics kind of side, you know, you're yeah. probably not typically at the forefront of your mind, right? The, the, at the forefront's like, you know, what, what is going into the box? But perhaps just as important, right, is the box getting to the person on time and with the with the contents being in good shape. So yeah, all those kind of logistical challenges have been you know stressful and, and difficult for the team at, at points, and they've done an amazing job to you know overcome some of those things. You know, there was things like all these shipping delays, you know, and yeah. all kinds of different things that people will have seen on the news that you know affect the whole supply chain for for products. And because our business model is is like focused on a particular set of beers within a four-week window. We don't have much room to maneuver if a, if a ship is delayed or the Suez Canal thing or any of that kind yeah, of stuff yeah. is like... <laughs> uh, has so it's, a, it's a completely yeah. different set of beers every month? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's a lot of like churn, right? You, you know, you can't kind of rest on your laurels, so you've got to... Uh... So, do, so where have you, where's this kind of taken you then? So have you been literally all over the world? Yeah, it's, you know, craft beer is like this global phenomenon and community. And, um, you know, we've explored lots of fantastic breweries from all around the UK. We've, we've done a lot of beers from, from the UK. Also, you know, from around the US, you know, we've been over to California and Kentucky and uh, various places. Um, we went down to South Africa. That was a, a really interesting box and, you know, magazine kind of exploring the whole uh, culture of, of beer and, and stuff down there. Uh, probably the most exotic box we did was um, Korea, you know, so I'd had this kind of experience of selling jam in South Korea. Yeah. I'd made a few friends over there and we had this idea, like, why don't we do a, a box of South Korean beers? So uh, we started working with a few craft breweries there to put together a selection. And they said, look, if you're gonna do a magazine all about South Korea, um, you're gonna miss a big part of the story of our country if you don't also visit North Korea. So, you know, we thought hard about whether it was a good idea or not, but um, yeah, we, we got invited to, to, to do the first ever brewery tour of North Korea. Wow. Um, so that was a kind of once in a lifetime kind of experience. And, so you went to like um, uh, Pyongyang? Yeah, we went to a few different cities and I think we visited about seven different breweries. We tasted, in North Korea? Yeah, we tasted a lot of different beers. Um, obviously it's a, a you know, uh, very difficult country for, for the people who are living there. And um, yeah, it was a, a real kind of eye-opener to kind of see see all of that stuff firsthand. You know, we got taken to the, the tomb where the body of um, Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il are, 
are kept laying in state and you know wow. we had to, we had to bow to these these bodies with you know armed guards all around and um so it was a pretty weird feeling doing that kind of thing obviously but the, the whole message that we wanted to get across was that you know this was something that the, the south korean breweries wanted us to do they wanted us to go there meet the breweries there talk about beer you know discover that despite all of the differences between all of our countries there's um there are things that we have in common and there's passions that can unite us and uh, we created a beer called One Day One Korea uh, that the, the breweries in South Korea kind of came up with and it had um, an ingredient representing North, an ingredient representing South and yeah. you know raised some money for for a cause out there so um, yeah that was a you know really interesting story to, to explore wow. so um, yeah we've we've kind of been all around the world <laughs> literally and yeah. um, usually we, we kind of focus on countries that are more well known for for beer making so do lots of popular selections from you know German breweries Belgian yeah. Danish um, Swedish stuff like that lots of lots of really cool craft breweries there so um, yeah and then we tell all the stories in the magazine which kind of brings it all to life and people can learn about the beers the breweries and you know some of the culture and history that that comes from each particular region wow yeah I'm still trying to get over that North Korean <laughs> visit to be yeah. you know it's so in you just imagine those two places as, as being totally diametrically opposed to each other, right? And yeah. of course, uh, people have relatives on both yeah. sides and, yeah. and, and perhaps it's not really as, uh, as sort of hardline as, as, as we think so. It must have been, uh, did you have like doubts about going there? Yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to sort of like support, you know, what's happening there in some, in some way, but... Um, well, from like a kind of safety point of view, was that, was that a factor as well or...? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely, like um, you know, our, our moms and stuff were worried. Yeah. You know, are we yeah. going to come back alive? And, you know, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, it, it was uh, yeah, it was super interesting, and yeah, made for a great article. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and uh, is there anywhere where um, you know, craft beer is like this universally? I think in lots of different countries, it's taken off. Right? Is there anywhere where you think it's just a little bit behind the curve, but, but perhaps? You know they're gonna they're gonna start their own adventure with with craft beer as well. Yeah, well we've been we've been talking to quite a few different breweries in all, all around Africa, you know, various different countries in Africa, and um, yeah, the, the kind of craft beer scene there is you know st starting to to really develop, and there's some some really cool stuff going on with you know different ingredients that that you might not find in in beers here. So uh, we're keeping an eye on that and. Yeah, we we did a survey out to our members of which upcoming themes would they be most excited to see, and you know Africa topped the list of, of somewhere that would be really interesting to, to put a selection of beers from. So um, yeah, we're, 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 we think that could be uh, definitely a, a growing area. Yeah, Africa, that's interesting, right? Yeah, and and in terms of sort of bringing it back to the the business side a little bit, so in some fantastic highlights there in terms of where you guys have, have been able to visit and. I guess in, in terms of highlights towards the growth of the, the, the business, right? So, you know, what, what have been some of those kind of milestone moments? Or has it, has it really been since COVID where it's like dramatically accelerated the, the growth, right? But, you know, is there, is there some milestones before that as well? Yeah, I mean, like in in the very beginning, we used to have this tradition where it was called an empty fridge day, and we would we would drink all the beers in the fridge when we hit certain milestones of subscribers. And uh, the the first time we did that was five thousand 
subscribers and you know we had this big party and you know it was an amazing yeah. feeling and and then you know every time we, we kind of uh, hit one of those type of milestones we would do that and and then over the pandemic it sort of just exploded and you know at one time there was you know, more than 200,000 people wow. you know in, in our beer club which was um, yeah a wonderful uh, kind of milestone considering where we'd where we'd come from and um, I guess yeah over that period we were we were very fortunate to to grow like that and um it meant that we were able to buy a lot of beer from 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 breweries you know who weren't able to sell through pubs and their own tap rooms and things like that so we were able to help out quite a lot of our friends who have you know craft breweries so um yeah that that was definitely yeah the, the, the kind of biggest milestone yeah going through going through covid and seeing that extraordinary growth right so I, I guess was it a case where god each of those subscribers to get that first five thousand was like really hard fought yeah, right yeah. and yeah do you just do you just hit like a kind of critical mass almost where the, the brand's so you know out there and, and recognized that yeah. you just you go from five the jump from zero to five thousand is like ten times as long as from five thousand to fifty thousand you know is, is that the way it happened yeah i guess like in the beginning we didn't really know what we were doing with it with a lot of different things and we were testing out different marketing channels and trying out different ways of, of of encouraging people to sign up and then over time we just figured out how to attract the right type of customers you know people who were going to enjoy what we do um so the more we learned over time the the, the quicker we got at, at doing that and um yeah we, we definitely don't take it for granted you know we're, we're only as good as the last, last box of beer that we sent out to our customers and um, we're always, uh, yeah, kind of fighting hard to kind of keep uh, keep all of our customers on board. You know, that's what it's all about. And yeah, business. yeah. And in terms of Wine Fifty Two, then, which is kind of uh, you know a lot of a lot of what we've got in this room is, yeah. is, is yeah. wine rather than the beer, right? So, um, did you just feel that that was kind of like a logical next step, and was that a kind of COVID decision yeah. as well? Quite often after we'd had a few beers, we would say, look, why don't we start a wine club? You know, that would be that would be a great kind of next step for our business. And, um, you know, obviously wine is like a, a huge market. You know, it's a bigger market than craft beer. So it kind of opens up a, a new opportunity for us to grow. Um, we looked at the wine clubs that exist and you know, a lot of them, you know, they started in the 80s. They kind of are aimed at a particular type of customer, you know, they, they, they sell wine by the dozen. They don't really tell much of a story behind the winemakers or, you know, the wines. They, they um, you know, they don't produce a magazine about the wine, for example. So we kind of saw this opportunity to sell people less quantity of wine, but better quality. You know, we do three bottles or four bottles a month. Um, really interesting wines, you know, from regions that you maybe haven't tried before. Uh, grapes that you maybe haven't tried before. Um, and so, yeah, we take people on a kind of journey of taste discovery like we do with beer. You know, every wine is kind of unique and different. And um, we think that that's a really different model to what other wine clubs have been doing. And um, yeah, it's proving really popular with, with our customers. So uh, we launched it by you know, inviting our beer club members to join. Um, and that got us off to a great start. And then we opened it up to you know, customers beyond that. So I think in less than 12 months, we've we've grown to more than like 50,000 members in, a, in our wine club. Just on the is, wine side. Yeah, which is a, you know, a fantastic milestone. It, it kind of shows that it's something that people really enjoy. Um, and it's kind of something different in the world of wine. You know, wine can be a bit, um, 
uh, stuffy. Or yeah, like inac like inaccessible, I think, right? And, and probably from a, from a cost perspective with the other wine clubs, if it's 12 bottles versus four, well, that's, you know, there's going to be a much greater cost associated with that, right? So is that being quite yeah. um, somewhere where you, you found a bit, of, a, a bit of a gap? Yeah, so we sell three bottles of wine for £32, so it's pretty good value. Um, you know, that includes your, your magazine, tells you all about the wineries, how it's made. You can really learn a lot about wine from, from doing that. And um, yeah, for, for the customers, it's uh, rating really well. You know, obviously we, we collect all the reviews from customers so we can kind of learn what's that. Applying that same model that you have for the, the beer, right? And it, is there a lot of crossover then? Are there a lot of people who are subscribed through the, the beer side of things also now doing the, the wine stuff, or is it a different audience, would you say? Yeah, yeah there's a good chunk of, of members who've got both subscriptions, and then... Um, we love them. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, most of the people are, are, are new to us, so uh, it's, it's kind of expanded the, the pool of customers that, that we're able to go after, and uh, yeah, we're really excited. You know, it gives us like this whole new um, journey that we can go on in wine, and... Um, yeah, we've, we've basically added to the team, you know, people who are real experts in wine. Um, so we have Thomas, who's our, our wine buyer, and Carlos is kind of, uh, used to be a winemaker. So they bring, yeah, real experience and, and real ability to, you know, select wines that people are going to love. Yeah, because I think it's a, it's a lot more of a kind of formalised uh, industry, isn't it? You know, sommeliers and, and, and things like that. These, these guys who can instantly... Instantly pick the the grape, the year, and, and, exactly. and things like that, which is is, cra is crazy. Yeah. And so I guess stepping into that space, maybe one of the challenges was, uh, you know, people have a much greater awareness about about wine and the provenance of wine and, and the age and things like that. So it's been quite important to bring some of those skills in house. Totally, yeah. I mean, our whole background was in beer, so we knew that you know to have credibility and to have the right skills in the in the team, we were going to have to add people with world-class wine uh, knowledge and, and experience. So yeah, they've been a great addition to the team. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about finding the best wines for our customers. So, you know, every, every week there are hundreds of samples arriving here and they, they make a very small selection of, of the best ones. Have you been able to do some uh, tours of vineyards as well? Yeah, some yeah vis visited some wine festivals and harvest festivals and um, been, been on the harvest at a winery. So it's great to see how the whole process works. And yeah, we're, we're all enjoying yeah, learning along with our customers all about how wine is made and uh, stuff like that. Yeah, so I guess, you know, how are you feeling about, about Beer 52, you know, as it, is, as it is currently? You know, you've moved into this new space. You kind of start on a bit of a new chapter with the, the wine side of the business as well. So, yeah, I guess, you know, looking back over the, the past nine years, do you feel like pretty, you know, proud about what you guys have built? Yeah, super proud of, you know, our team. You know, we've, we've put together this really passionate group of people who, you know, they love craft beer, they love wine, but, you know, they're also passionate about like each of their own areas of the business, marketing and customer service and logistics. And um, it's like a, an amazing group of people who we've been able to bring together to, to do this. And that, that's the reason it's, it's worked, basically. Yeah, yeah. So how, how, how big's the team now then? So we have just over 100 people in the, in the right. team. Wow. Um, and that's, that covers everything from buying to producing our magazine to marketing. Um, so all kinds of different uh, roles and, and responsibilities. Um, yeah also kind of recruiting for various positions yeah yeah right with the the labor market the way it is at the moment it's that's probably pretty tricky but yeah i mean that it's a the, the people side of, of the business right is 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 a huge component so 
has it been a, a challenge, especially through COVID, when you had that real kind of exponential growth? Was was that quite difficult? Because insofar as, yeah, it's great that we've got all these people signing up, but God, we best deliver these beers on time, you know? So was that a bit of a challenge, kind of just, you know, the exponential growth in demand and yeah. finding the staff to... Yeah, for sure. I think it was that whole period was a huge challenge for every business, wasn't it? In 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 every different way, and um, yeah, it it was kind of amazing to see how our team yeah adapted to it and took on the challenge of growing so quickly. I think our business more or less doubled in size within you know the week or two after they closed the pubs, basically, yeah. and um, it, we still had the same number of people, but you know a lot more orders to to yeah. deliver, and we kind of quickly. You know, expanded the team over time, but um, yeah, it was amazing to see how how people kind of uh, dealt with that pressure and um, yeah, rose up to the challenge and yeah, made it yeah. made it all work. And it was one of the great things, wasn't it, about the kind of first lockdown that uh, you know there wasn't that real kind of solidarity, wasn't there? And everybody was like, right, you know, and everyone started uh, baking and uh, going to the gym. Well, not, obviously not going to the gym, but exercise and everything like that. And yeah, everyone just worked like crazy through that period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so are you feeling kind of post-COVID now? I think we can probably tentatively say. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for, for us, it's like uh, we had that crazy growth and then we've, we've added a, a number of really talented people to the team. And um, yeah, it's now kind of, you know, we're now able to deliver to customers really well. You know, if you order today until 9 p.m., your beer will be with you tomorrow. You know, it's a really slick service and, um, Partly because it was really stress tested during yeah. that time, we were able to figure out how to do things better. So um, yeah, we've kind of come out of it really well. And um, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an even that's an even faster turnaround time than than I mean, probably around. The, I know you can get some same day delivery, can't you, with Amazon and things like that. But you know, f five or ten years ago, or I mean, nine years ago when you guys started, right? What were the lead times like for delivery? Because I bet you couldn't get it next day, could you? No, yeah, I think... Um, yeah, over time, we've had to make everything faster and faster. and To meet uh, that consumer Yeah, pe people have a, a really fast expectation on, on delivery, so you have to be competitive with everyone else and make sure that, yeah, yeah, yeah we're offering a great speed of, of delivery. Yeah, especially with something like beer. You know, if somebody orders on a, on a Thursday, they, wanna, they do want to drink it on the Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, uh, it's much more difficult to get things delivered over the weekend, right? So mm. I yeah. bet there's a big uh, spike in subscriptions on Thursday. Exactly. Thursday yeah. evenings. That's right. Or maybe on Monday mornings, <laughs> depend, depending on the sort of week people have yeah, got yeah. ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, sort of final things, Fraser. Um, just, you know, you, you've, you've been an entrepreneur for nearly 20 years, right? Yeah, uh, since yeah. you were since you were fourteen, and uh, I mean, which is just which is just crazy, right? It must be crazy to look back and, and still be a young man, right? And think, wow, I've been doing this a long time. So yeah, I, I think um, anything anything you would do differently for you know, or any anything that you would like to have known way back way back when that um, you now know. I think probably a, the biggest lesson for me is just like how amazing it is to work with other people and you know like a, a, the thing I love about what I do now is is working with a, a team of really talented people who come from loads of different countries, they've got loads of different um, viewpoints on things, they've got you know loads of different backgrounds in terms of career and education and stuff so working with a, a bunch of different people 
um, yeah, when you come up against a problem or you have an idea, you've got this whole pool who can come together on it. And um, that's way more fun and exciting than, than trying to do something on your own. So um, I think, yeah, to any entrepreneurs who are kind of thinking about starting a business, I definitely, yeah, as I said at the start, but, you know, that's my big lesson is, is yeah. kind of... Because um, there can be that temptation, can't there? I think when you've, particularly when you've got a product, Maybe it was a little bit like this with 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 Super Jam, right? Where you've this is your baby, you've you've invented it, you've yeah. brought this thing into the world. So there's that sort of protect. You feel very protective over it, yeah. and you perhaps don't feel like you want to let other people into the equation, right? And 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 that's totally that's totally right in in, in one respect. But I think, like you're saying, as you as you grow, yeah. you have to be able to um, sort of give give that away, give that power away, right? Yeah. Yeah, whatever kind of idea you have, like you're probably wrong, or at least like a bit wrong. So um, you're not going to get anything right first time around, that's for sure. So if you listen to other people's perspectives or experience on things, then you can make tweaks to your idea, and you know that will make it better. So yeah, I would definitely say whether you work with other people or like find a mentor or just like write to pe people who've done something similar and say, look, I've got this idea. What do you think? You know, people are usually pretty happy to give you advice and share what they think. Yeah, reaching out, reaching out to people is such an important thing to, to do, isn't it? You know, and not, not being afraid to have those conversations. Totally. Yeah, that definitely sounds like that was the case with, with you, right? Even yeah. even when you were 14, 15, you just like, right, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go and speak to these people. Yeah, I mean, do do you ever do you ever think about that in terms of you know being you know that, that, that having that self confidence and self and self belief? Do you you know, a lot of people would look at that and say, "Wow, that that phrase is cut differently to the to the rest of us, right?" Do you ever think? Do you ever think like that? Um, well, yeah, I think like sometimes people have an idea for a business or whatever, and they don't do it. They don't try it because they're worried like if it doesn't work out, are people going to like laugh at me or something? Or like the truth is like people don't people don't really care basically. So if you you know if you try something out and it doesn't work, like nobody. Yeah. minds nobody's going to say anything about it you know they're going to be happy that you tried and you know chances are they'll support you and encourage you and you know if maybe give you some advice so yeah don't don't worry too much about what other people think you know if you're thinking of starting a business you know don't don't if it doesn't work out try something else you know it's no no problem at all yeah it's kind of stepping in with with, with both feet right yeah. that's the most important thing yeah just try you know just start and see what happens yeah. yeah. Okay. And then finally, finally, Fraser, just, I think, you know, it would be, it'd be rude not to finish without, you know, asking you what, what life would be like without beer. Life would be kind of boring without beer, right? So um, I think it's like this kind of social lubricant, you know, it, it's uh, as well as being like a delicious product that, that has a lot of interesting stories behind it. Um, it it's uh, something that brings people together, which is what I love. And uh obviously a huge part of what we do is like traveling around the world, meeting people from different cultures and learning about their countries and stuff like that. And doing that over a beer is, is one of the best things you can do in life, I think. And what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Are you allowed to have a favorite beer? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I kind of, um, just like our customers, I like going on this kind of constant journey of like trying different things and uh, there's always something new to try. So um, that's what keeps it exciting. Absolutely. Well, no, thanks so much for your time, Fraser, and for inviting us to the, uh, to the office. It looks, it looks great and uh, every success, you know, wish you every success in the future. Yeah, thanks for stopping by. <laughs> Perfect.
So that was Fraser Doherty there recounting what has been a pretty phenomenal business journey, both in his own right and, of course, with Beer 52. And I should mention that we had the pleasure of recording this one with Fraser in person at the company's new HQ in Edinburgh. So do keep an eye out for some video footage. We'll be putting it out alongside this. Um, so yeah, so much to highlight from that conversation. I think we'll jump right in and start with what Fraser said about running a business as a young person. He was really honest that, you know, at times he had no idea what he was doing with some aspects of running the business, but that also he was able to try things that perhaps more experienced entrepreneurs might have overlooked. And I think having that sort of beginner's mind is incredibly important wherever you are in your journey. And often the challenge for many of us is getting back to that kind of first principles thinking and not being led only by our experience. So really important to hang on to. Another key point was what Fraser said about the benefits of working with a co-founder or a team to help your business when it faces the inevitable obstacles and barriers that come along. You know, Fraser said that when you first create your product or service, you won't get everything right first time. So having those other perspectives can be really valuable in terms of helping you work through some of those problems. I also love the point about listening to your customers. Beer 52 has hundreds of thousands of them and uses data and insights to inform which beers go into which box, uh, which month. But even if you only have a handful of customers, you should be regularly asking them what they think and adjusting your approaches accordingly. And finally, I think if there's one thing that you have to take away from hearing Fraser's amazing story, it's not being afraid of failure and what other people will think if you take a chance on a business idea and it doesn't work out. Fraser said, too many people never take their chance because they're worried about being judged by others. But in reality, other people don't care if you succeed. They only care that you tried. I think that's really inspiring and should hopefully motivate anyone to take the leap if they do have a good idea. And uh, if you're feeling ready for a drink after listening to that conversation, then you can head over to the Beer52 website at beer52.com and also check out Wine52 as well at beer52.com forward slash wine that's a new venture based on the original monthly subscription model but obviously for wine and Fraser's super excited about that and it's enjoying pretty astonishing levels of success as well so definitely if you want to find out more about beer 52 I would head to those places so yeah thanks so much to Fraser for inviting us up to the new HQ in Edinburgh and obviously for sharing his story good luck to him and the team and as always Thanks so much for listening.